If you will, turn in your Bibles uh, to the 11th chapter, the Gospel of Mark, uh, for our text uh, here on this Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem, it is springtime. Springtime in Israel is absolutely beautiful. The wildflowers are breaking forth. The fields are covered with grass and, and the nation is uh, lush in the springtime. It is the time of the feast of Passover and, and it is an exciting time. The entire nation stops for a week and everybody heads to Jerusalem to celebrate. Jerusalem itself is uh, a flutter with activity as, as the city is preparing itself to receive all of its guests. And, and the people are excited to be able to come and bring your sacrifice uh, there to the, the temple in Jerusalem and, and also to be able to meet up with your family members, your cousins and extended family, to, to be able to hit the shops and, and to do some shopping in the Jerusalem market marketplace to be able to enjoy God's goodness and God's blessing upon the, the nation. Passover was always an exciting feast because it, it, it was their, their day of national independence. It was like our 4th of July. They celebrated God's incredible deliverance from the nation of Egypt and brought them forth and to the land that flows with milk and honey. And so there is always a great excitement around the feast of Passover. But this year was especially uh, electric. The question that was on every single heart and every single mind was, who is Jesus? You see, for three years, Jesus had been publicly ministering to the nation of Israel from the very first miracle there in Cana of the wedding of turning the water into wine uh, up until the events that had just happened very, very recently. You see, Jesus' ministry and his miracles really for the most part, took place uh, apart from Jerusalem. Jesus and the disciples would attend the feasts, and, but then they would depart again. And so the people of Jerusalem, they didn't really recognize uh, Jesus by sight. They had heard of him and heard of the things that he had done, but had never truly been impacted themselves uh, uh, there in the city up until a few weeks prior. That was when a couple, Mary and Martha, their brother now, he, he lived uh, and was a good friend of Jesus and he grew sick and you'll remember that they called for Jesus to come and to save their brother and you'll remember that Lazarus died and was put into the tomb and, and all of this taking place in Bethany. Bethany was a little dormer town, village that just sat a couple miles away from Jerusalem and and you'll remember that Lazarus died and and they had many friends in Jerusalem and and they were there grieving with Mary and Martha when Jesus showed up and and you'll remember that he called forth Lazarus out of the grave and 
the most spectacular miracle takes place and, and Lazarus comes forth. Well, there were many people from Jerusalem that were eyewitnesses to that very miracle that took place. And they went back into Jerusalem and they told everybody in Jerusalem of the great miracle that had just taken place. And so the the religious leaders also heard about this miracle that took place and and they were also very concerned with uh, with Jesus for the question of uh, who is Jesus was a question that the entire nation was trying to uh, to figure out there were some that said that uh, that he was a, a holy man of God a great teacher there were others that were saying that he was a prophet there were others that were saying that he is the Messiah Messiah. The Messiah is the hope of the nation of Israel. The Messiah is the hope back then. He is the hope today for the nation of Israel because the Word of God promises that one day Israel is going to rule over the whole world, that, that the Messiah will sit upon the throne of David there in Jerusalem and all government will be upon his shoulders and that he will rule in righteousness and authority and the scepter will not depart from his hand. One day Jerusalem is going to be exalted above of all the nations and all the cities in the world and and so these promises they they are true and they are going to be fulfilled the question is when is the messiah going to come and and could it possibly be that that jesus is the messiah the nation hadn't seen a prophet in 300 years no word from god to god's people for 300 years and and then there was this man john the baptist who who arrived on the scene and and suddenly the all of the city of Jerusalem uh, came out to be baptized by John. John was the one that declared that I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me who will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit of whom I am not even worthy to unlatch his sin. And so the forerunner pointing to Jesus and, and then the miracles and the teachings of, uh, of Jesus. The religious leaders, they investigated Jesus uh, early on and, and they began to try and thwart the authority of um, Jesus. They, they told the people, they made their position completely clear. Yes, this man has power. But I want you to know that his power is not from God. His power comes from Beelzebub. Do not listen to him and do not follow him. And they came out against him. Jesus continued to minister and to teach. And the people would listen to Jesus and they would walk away saying, no man has ever taught with such authority that we have ever heard in our entire life. And, and certainly the, the miracles that Jesus was doing and so they were conflicted, uh, the religious leaders, telling them not to listen or follow Jesus. But now, when Jesus raises Lazarus in their own backyard, and the word now goes through Jerusalem of what Jesus has done, that is uh, when Caiaphas uh, then declares that, that we have a, a great problem. 
You see, the, the religious zealots, they, they were the ones that were seeking to overthrow the Romans. The, the occupied uh, force uh, now, the, it rankled uh, them. And, and they were trying to politicize uh, Jesus to be able to stir the people into rebellion. And so... Hmm. Caiaphas, the high priest of that day, after he sees the, the stirring of the raising of Lazarus, it is then that he told the Sanhedrin that it is more expedient that one man should die than, than that the whole nation would perish. You see, the religious zealots, they were trying to get the nation of Israel to rebel against Rome. But uh, if the little nation of Israel rebels against the, the Roman army, they will certainly come in and just simply crush the nation. And so the religious leaders now seeking to remain in control and to keep a political upheaval from taking place believe that it's more expedient that Jesus now needs to be removed from this equation so that we can save the nation. The word was put out as now the time of Passover was upon the, the question on every single person's uh, mind was, is Jesus going to show up at the feast? The religious leaders had put the word out that if anybody sees him, to let us know that we might come and, and seize him. And so they were seeking after Jesus. And so the question of, is Jesus the Messiah? And secondly, will he show up at the feast? Jesus uh, now begins to make uh, his approach. After the uh, bringing back to life of Lazarus, uh, Jesus retreated away from the public to the wilderness out to Ephraim. But now it was uh, time for the nation to gather together there in Jerusalem. And, and as the pilgrims began to make their way to Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples departed from Ephraim. They come through Jericho. And you'll remember blind Bartimaeus cries out, out to Jesus and and Jesus heals of Bartimaeus in Jericho as he begins to head up towards uh, Jerusalem it is Friday they will arrive in Bethany before Friday night. Friday night begins the Shabbat, the Sabbath. And so from Friday night to Saturday night, all of Israel shuts down to observe the Sabbath. And, and then Saturday night, the, the city comes back to life again. And and so Jesus and his disciples are, uh, are there in Bethany just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. Sunday morning breaks and the disciples and Jesus, they begin to approach Jerusalem there from uh, Bethany. They and along with uh, many, many pilgrims are, uh, are coming. Bethany lies due east of Jerusalem. So they are heading straight west and, and all the other pilgrims now that are coming in are coming on the, the same road as well. And, and as the disciples get out onto the road, the, the whispers begin, that's Jesus over there. 
Isn't that Jesus? Is that the, the, the disciples? And, and, and now the crowds uh, begin to gather as Jesus and the disciples start to make their way towards uh, Jerusalem. And, and that is where Mark's gospel picks it up here in this 11th chapter. It, it says in verse 1, And now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it to here. And so they are walking towards Jerusalem, three miles from Bethany to Jerusalem, an hour's walk, an easy journey. And and as they are heading towards uh, Jerusalem, they stop at Bethphage. Bethphage is just a, a small, nondescriptive village. This is the only reference to Bethphage that we have in, in the scriptures. It means house of figs. And, and Jesus stops with his disciples. And, and now he sends two of them to go into the village. Go into the village. You're going to find a mother and a colt, uh, um, donkeys. Bring them to me. If anybody stops, you just tell them that your master has need of it and and so off the two disciples go into the the town he doesn't give them an address he just says go into the town and start wandering around and and when you discover a, a donkey with its colt just untie them and and bring them to me and and so we see here as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem to make his official presentation of of himself Jesus knows exactly what this week uh, holds for them he, he knows that he is going to be arrested and condemned and mocked and scourged and and ultimately that he is going to be crucified we see that he even has told his disciples uh, this Luke's gospel tells us and then he took the 12 aside and said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon, and they will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But the disciples didn't understand the words that Jesus was speaking. And so... We see here that uh, the question of whether or not Jesus is going to come to the feast and, and whether or not he's going to slip in quietly to the, the feast, that question was being answered. Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem in the most public uh, display of most public fashion uh, as possible. And, uh, and we see that he calls now for the colt to be brought to him. Mark tells us that this colt had never ever been uh, written before. And, uh, and so uh, we see that all of this was being fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus wasn't tired. He, he didn't need to ride. But yet we see that in Zechariah chapter 9 that uh, once again the scripture 
scriptures uh, had declared uh, that the Messiah was going to enter into Jerusalem uh, riding upon uh, a colt. Uh, we see that Matthew declares uh, the prophecy, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt the foal of a donkey and and so we see that the disciples are sent into Bethphage and and verse 4 and so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and and they loosed it but some of those uh, who stood there said to them what are you doing loosing the colt I always get this picture in my mind. They, they enter into the in town. They're walking around, and there's the mother in the colt. What do you think? Yeah, that's let's, okay, let's take them. So they, they begin to untie them, and, and this is it. And, and suddenly, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing untying the colt here? Uh, my master has need of it. Okay, well, then take them. <laughs> Okay, thank, thank you. <laughs> and, and, and off they, they go now as the, these strangers confront them as to why they are taking their donkeys. And, and yet uh, it says, and they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Whew. They bring them back to Jesus uh, now and and it says, and then they brought the colt to Jesus and, and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. They actually brought both the mother and the colt to Jesus. And they actually, in the other gospels tell us this, they put their cloaks on both of them. They don't know which one Jesus is going to sit upon. And, and we see that, that so oftentimes they didn't understand the fulfillment of the prophecies that they themselves were actually even involved in. Matthew explains that Jesus' entire life and ministry really were uh, were overriding purposes and principles that uh, that we see. Number one is to do the will of the Father. I do always do those things that please the Father. And so we see the submission to the will of the Father in Jesus' life. And then secondly, we see that it is the fulfillment of the Scriptures to fulfill the Old Testament and prophecies. And, and so we have contained in the Old Testament all of these prophecies regarding the specifics of the life and the ministry ministry of the Messiah. God had put together a portrait of scriptures prophetically having to do with the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it is that fulfillment of those prophecies that give us the absolute assurance that we are worshiping the true and the living God. You see, in the book of Isaiah, God told us this. He said that you might know that I am the true and the living God, and there is no other God beside me. He said, I will tell you the end from the beginning. I will demonstrate to you that I am the creator who stands outside of time. 
And so God put the prophecies in, specific, minute prophecies, hundreds of prophecies written by many different authors on different continents and different languages, that as all of these prophecies specifically come to pass, that you might know that this isn't an accident, that who you worship is the true and the living God. Every single religion has a set of holy books. Every single religion declares that they are the right religion, that they are the true religion. How do you know that the God that we worship is any different than any of the other religions and the God that they worship? God said that you might know with an absolute certainty. I have embedded in it the prophecies ahead of time hundreds and thousands of years not general prophecies that are vague specific prophecies that you might absolutely know that I am God and there is no other God Jesus in his life and ministry is fulfilling and completing the uh, the portrait the picture Jesus himself said do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets I did not come to destroy but to fulfill to complete the picture you remember when Jesus after his resurrection is on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples and they're discussing the events that took place there in Jerusalem and they were mourning the fact that uh, that Jesus had been crucified and they felt that because he was crucified then he couldn't be the Messiah and and Jesus said to them oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded in them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It was the greatest prophecy conference ever in the history. Jesus himself, beginning with Moses. Well, where does Moses begin? Moses begins with the book of Genesis. And so beginning with Genesis and going all the way through the prophets, he expounds and shows them all of the pictures of himself that have been embedded in the scriptures and, and how he himself is the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus Jesus is going to ride upon a colt because Zechariah hundreds of years before had been moved by the Holy Spirit. You see these prophets and holy men that wrote the scriptures and the prophecies, they didn't even understand what they were writing. They just were moved by the Holy Spirit to record those things and then ultimately uh, we discover the fulfillment uh, of them uh, later on. And so Jesus now is going to present himself to the nation. For three years, he has been establishing his credentials of who he is through his teaching and through the signs and the wonders. And now it is time for the nation to reject him or to enthrone him. And, and so three years of ministry and Jesus now is coming. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
And so we see that Jesus now sits upon the colt and, and the crowds uh, now are beginning to join in this royal procession as it starts to head towards uh, in Jerusalem. It says in verse 8, and many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and, and spread them on the road. And, and so they were laying their clothes cloaks and down as Jesus and the colt were passing over them. The laying down of the cloak was a, a sign of allegiance and uh, establishing the authority of Jesus uh, uh, over them. And, and now they begin to head towards uh, Jerusalem. It, it says in verse 9, and then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna means save us save us now salvation and so it was the cry now of establish your rule overthrow the Romans deliver us and set up your kingdom the hosannas that now started to go out and it says blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord hosanna in the highest and and we see now that uh, the, those were shouts and cries. They were declaring, the people were declaring well, who Jesus is. They were declaring that he is the king of Israel. They were declaring, Hosanna, Matthew records, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, son of David is a messianic title. The Messiah will come from the lineage of David. And so son of David is uh, the term for the Messiah and so the people as Jesus is presenting himself to Jerusalem and to the nation the people are crying out son of David they are crying out it's the Messiah the Messiah is coming and and so we see here that Jesus now is declaring himself publicly his identity through the action of riding in here a living parable now now for the uh, the people and and the religious leaders recognized that and understood as the people were declaring that Jesus is the Messiah and, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd teacher rebuke your disciples but he answered and said to them I tell you that if these should keep silent the stones uh, would immediately cry out and so the Crowds of the people are, are gathered. Jesus is descending the Mount of uh, Olives. Word has gone into the city that, uh, that Jesus is on his way. And, and we see that John's gospel tells us that, uh, that the city comes uh, out now. That in every corner, in every market, they had been wondering if Jesus is going to make himself uh, known uh, there in, in Jerusalem. If he will show up. And, and now suddenly, word comes that, uh, that he is coming 
coming with a crowd of people. And, and so they all swarm out the eastern gate. And, and there is the Mount of Olives. And here is Jesus descending down the switchbacks of the Mount of Olives. Uh, there with the crowd of people. And the, the crowds merge together there on the uh, western slope of the Mount of Olives. And, and now they all begin to uh, usher him back into Jerusalem and into the city. Jesus is headed towards the, the temple. And, and as Jesus sees the city, amongst all of the acclaim of the people and the cries that he is the Messiah, it says, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. God takes mm, prophecy mm, seriously. You'll remember how Moses was leading the children of Israel for 40 years through the wilderness and they were complaining that they were thirsty and dying of thirst. And, and you'll remember that Moses takes his staff and goes over to the rock. God told him, just speak to the rock. But Moses is angry and mad and he takes his staff and he smites the rock to call forth water and water comes forth. But... That wasn't what God had called him to do. And God talks to Moses. Moses, why did you smite the rock? You see, God was building a portrait of Christ through the actions of the smiting of the rock once, but then just speaking to the rock. The rock was representative of Jesus Christ. And and Christ wasn't smitten twice. He was only smitten once. The typology and prophetic picture that God was building, Moses now had corrupted that through his disobedient action. And, and you remember that Moses was not allowed to enter. The consequence of that action uh, was that Moses was not allowed to enter into the land. He could go right up to it, but Joshua would be the one that would lead them into the land. You see, God had told them the very day, listen to this, God had told them the very day that the Messiah would show up. The religious leaders were the keepers of the word of God. They were responsible for the prophetic picture that God had recorded and given to them to be able to recognize and to enthrone the Messiah when he came. And Jesus says, because you did not know the day of your visitation, these things are now removed from you. You remember Daniel and how Daniel was a prophet and he was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And, and so that because of their disobedience uh, unto God. And, and God gave to Daniel the vision, the prophetic 
picture of the nation of Israel and how God would use the nation of Israel. It's known as the 70 weeks in prophecy and, and it's recorded in Daniel chapter nine. And, and this is what it says, 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks or sets of seven. 70 times uh, seven is 490. So this prophecy of the nation of Israel spans this time period of 490 years. 70 sets of seven are determined for your people, for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. In other words, uh, this is the, the history. These 490 years contained in this prophecy uh, are going to deal with the history of the nation of Israel and how God is going to uh, use them. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So that makes 69 weeks. So that makes 483 years. Here it says that know this, 483 years from the time that you are told that you can return back to your nation again and rebuild it. Remember that they're in captivity by the Babylonians, that 483 years from whenever you are released, that is when the Messiah is going to come. It says, and there shall be the seven weeks and 62 weeks, the streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And so the Messiah is going to come, but then he is going to be cut off. It says, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist now. So 483 years, Messiah is going to be cut off. There's one more seven year period of time. It says that he's going to make a covenant now uh, with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations uh, shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is to be determined, is poured out uh, on the desolate. It is at the end of that final seven year period that Jesus now is going to return and establish now his kingdom forever. So if Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem saying, because you did not know the day he held them responsible for knowing the prophetic word of God. God had given them the very timetable and they ignored it. The decree was issued. Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us that Artaxerxes uh, Longamus takes and establishes the decree that allowed them to go back. You remember Ezra and Nehemiah lead them back into the land to rebuild the land. But that decree is recorded on March 5th. 444 BC. And if you take 483 years from that date and count it forwards, you come to April 6th, AD 32, the very day that Jesus Christ is making his triumphal entry into the nation. 
How much more could God have done <laughs> to paint uh, the picture of the Messiah, tell you when he is coming, how he is going to come, and, and in comes Jesus on that very day. And so, Mark 11, verse 11, and Jesus went into Jerusalem and, and into the temple. And so Jesus now comes into the very temple itself. And he ministers there in the temple. We see in Matthew's gospel, it tells us, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Jesus goes to the temple and there are lame and blind people that are brought to him and there in Jerusalem, Jesus starts healing them and, and rather than celebrating the incredible deliverance over the infirmities and the healings that are taking place, they, they want the praise of the children that are declaring that he is the son of David and save now, they want them to be silenced. Jesus surveys the, the temple. He contemplates the final week of his public ministry. The very same people that are shouting hosannas to the son of David in a week's time will be shouting crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knows the fickleness of man's heart. He has one final week. One final week to prepare the hearts of his disciples to minister to those that will come in contact with him and then his appointment with the cross to offer himself up as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world verse 11 continues so when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late he went out to Bethany with the twelve Matthew says that he departed out of the city to Bethany and he lodged it there. And so Jesus would stay in Bethany. He would come into the city each day and, and then he would depart and, and head back to Bethany. And, and so the final week of Jesus. As we close our study here, as I thought about Jesus' triumphal entry, the the presentation of himself. It, it was the, the weeping of Jesus. He weeps. What was he weeping over exactly? Why was Jesus weeping? There's three times in the scriptures that we see Jesus weeping. When, when he is outside the tomb of Lazarus and he sees the grief of Mary and Martha, he he cries, he, he weeps, and Hebrews also tells us that, uh, that he weeps and cries forth in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears 
to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is not only sweating blood and, and praying, but he is also crying and weeping. The words that were used when Jesus is outside of the tomb of Lazarus, that, that word for crying is, is a silent crying where the tears are just kind of running off of your face. But the one, when he sees in Jerusalem and he weeps, that's a different word. And it means that you are wailing loudly and tears are streaming down your face. He, he wails over in Jerusalem. And to me, I believe that what he is uh, weeping over is the, the consequence of their actions, the consequence of their sins, the compassion and the empathy that is in the heart of, of God. When we fail, when you sin, when I sin, and we all sin, there's none righteous, no, not one. What is God's response to our sin? Sometimes people think that God is angry, that God is mad at you. Oh, I can't believe that you did that again. I am so tired of having to go over this with you. And, and he is just mad at you when you do not color inside of the lines. And, and people are afraid of God. They don't want to be in trouble with God. They don't want God to be mad at them. They see him as this angry God that's going to punish everybody that disobeys. And so they, they try and be good because they are fearful of God. But what is the heart of God? We see Jesus isn't yelling at them and condemning them and shaking a finger at them. How can you not know? How can you not know that I'm the Messiah? Look at everything that I have done. Look at the scriptures. He's not yelling at them. He's not screaming at them. He's not angry with them. He weeps because he loves us so much. And every single time we sin, we have failed to, to receive the blessing that God would have uh, for us. And, and we are going to experience less than what God had intended and, and hoped for. Like children, they have free will. God gave us free will. And, and as a father, I want them to... <laughs> I want them to make the right decisions all the time. Because as a father, I know their life is going to be blessed if they will do what's right in their life. And I want to, if I could, I would make them be good. <laughs> but they have their own little hearts and they have their own minds. And it breaks my heart when they make decisions that <laughs> that are going to bring consequences in their life rather than them making the right decision and we can be celebrating victory. We, we are walking through the disappointments of, of failure together. That's God's heart towards you. He is not an angry God shaking a fist at you. 
He loves you more than words can ever even express. His desire for you is to be the best version of yourself. What's the best version of yourself look like? What's the best version of yourself look like? With my personality, with my gifts and talent and my sense of humor, what is the best version of myself? I do not know what the best version of myself can look like. But God knows. God knows what the best version of myself is. And God knows what the best version of yourself is and and he is actively working through the the power of the holy spirit in your life to be able to help you become that best version of yourself to love him more fully more completely be more connected to him be more faithful to him and to be able to shower the people around you with with agape love, with unconditional, pure love that flows from the heart of the Father through us to those around. He's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. He wants the best for you. And he hurts for you. When you hurt, he hurts with you. It's said of Jesus that a a smoking flax and he won't extinguish it. In a bruised reed, he, he won't break it. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And God is doing everything that he can to help you reflect his character and his love to the world around you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. And God, a triumphal entry. May, may, may you make a fresh a triumphal entry into our heart and into our life. And, and God, may we not be afraid of you, not be fearful of you, but it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. It's your goodness and your gentleness, your grace and your mercy. Bless us, God, help us now. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.